Welcome to West Houston Bible Church, our Sunday services. We have uh, about three or four announcements this morning before we get started. Number one is Dr. Dean is returning from vacation tomorrow. I got a text from him this morning. Uh, he was enjoying a nice, healthy breakfast at Cracker Barrel in Montgomery, Alabama. And so uh, he's on his way. Yeah, I know there was gravy on that plate somewhere. I know. <coughs> Anyway, he's doing good, and they're they're having a good, safe travel home, and so be in prayer for that. Uh, prep school needs teachers and helpers. If you think you might be interested, please talk to Russell Gates. Uh, registration for Schaefer Seminary's fall term begins August 1. If, you, uh, if you're a member of West Houston Bible Church, you can take up to two courses tuition-free, and if you register by August 6, the registration fee is waived. And the course schedules are on the information tables outside the sanctuary, or you can go to the Schaefer.edu website and get those things. Uh, with that, we'll turn it over and start our service. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. We come to worship God most high. Worship is what you bring to the Lord. Worship is your offering. Worship is not what God gives to us, but rather what we are going to offer him by way of praise, thanksgiving, gratitude, expressions of our thankfulness in the giving of material things. But also we, we recognize that we have come to acknowledge that he's the sovereign, that he has the right to rule over us. And if we're going to worship God in a manner that's acceptable to him, it's necessary that we have all of our sins forgiven, that we be cleansed from all unrighteousness in our personal lives, from whatever sins, whether they be sins of thinking or sins of speaking or sins of action. The fact that Jesus Christ has paid for every sin means that God the Father is able to forgive our sins, not because of who and what we are, not because of our actions, but because of what Jesus did. 
On this basis, God the Father is able to forgive our sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, that cleanses us from all sins. But we are told if we will confess our sins, we confess them to the Father. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In order that we might worship God acceptably, we'll take a moment for each of you to examine self before the Lord. If there's sin in your life right now between you and the Father and your fellowship with him has been broken, this is the time for you to confess your sins to him, telling him what you have done, and then believing his promise that he will forgive and he will cleanse. And then what we offer up to him by way of thanksgiving and praise today will glorify him and he will be pleased. Let us pray. We give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, that you've done all things necessary to provide for us who are sinners deserving of judgment so that we might be justified, so that we might be able to enter into your presence. I thank you for Jesus who has made that entrance possible. So we give thanks that we have such a great high priest and through him we can have access to you. We know, Father, we are not deserving of any of this, but we we praise you for your mercy. You've not dealt with us according to our sins. You've not rewarded us according to our iniquities. But you've shown us mercy. Heavenly Father, this day we pray that we're going to understand our place in your plan, that we might desire to fulfill that. We pray for our nation. We know that we deserve judgment. We're a sinful, evil people. And yet in the midst of all of this, you still have a purpose and a plan for your people, so I pray that This day we're going to be strengthened, we're going to be encouraged and fulfill your purpose that we might shine as lights in the darkness in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I pray, Father, that you are going to embolden pastors all across this nation today that they might speak forth the word with truth, with conviction, with power, and that your people will hear the voice of the Spirit and not harden their hearts today. So, Father, as we come to you this day, we we praise you, we bless you for your wonderful works, for your marvelous provision. So I, I ask that you receive the thanksgiving, the worship that we bring to you today. May you be glorified through your children in this place today. We would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are service with hymn number 278. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Please stand.
Our scripture this morning is from the fifth strophe of the fourth servant song found in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13, going through all of Isaiah 53, we have one of the great songs found in Scripture. There are four songs about the servant of Jehovah in the book of Isaiah. This is the fourth one. And we're going to read the concluding strophe, or the concluding stanza, from that song, starting in Isaiah 53, in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord, Yahweh, this is God the Father, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, him being the suffering servant of Yahweh. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our next hymn this morning is It Is Well With My Soul, number... What? 493. There we go. Please stand.
Lord is the giver of all things. He is the source. And God has supplied abundantly. He has supplied enough that we are able to give to him. This is not to buy anything from God or to bribe God, but this is simply an expression of our gratitude, recognizing that God has supplied all things and we can give a portion to him in gratitude. And we recognize also that God works out his plan through his people. And God has chosen to work through those that he has given in grace so that they can give, that others can hear the good news about salvation in Jesus Christ, and so that we can come together and worship as a body of believers. So you have the privilege of giving. But we're told that we give with the right mental attitude, not because pressure has been put upon us, not because we are uh, forced to do so, but we give with this attitude of gratitude. So you are free to give, and you give as unto the Lord. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us enough, that we have something to give to you. And we recognize that we are not diminished by giving, because you have given enough to us, and that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we give to you this day willingly with gratitude in our hearts. May you take these offerings and use them for your purposes, that your word might go out, that we might minister your grace, your love to others. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God has given us his word, and it's all profitable. It has all been given to us, every part of it, for our edification, that through it we come to understand who God is, and we come to understand his plan for us. God has a plan. It was something that he had planned in eternity past, taking into account every detail of every person, of every second for all of human history. That's staggering when you stop to think about God's plan, and he knows every instant. He knows every thought that you have. He knows every interaction that we would have. And his plan is so perfect that he can take every single action, every single thought, and cause it to work for the fulfillment of his purposes. This world is a mess today. We all can agree on that, I do believe. There are horrible things taking place all around the world, and we see it in our own nation. All of the chaos, the confusion, all of the corruption the degradation, the abominable things that are taking place. But things are not out of control from God's perspective. From man's perspective, or even from Satan's perspective, they they are spiraling out of control, worse and worse, and it's a downward spiral. And as we look at it from the human perspective, there is no hope. But from the divine perspective, things are moving exactly as God had planned. He knew where we would be today. He knew what bad condition the world would be in. And God is going to have victory. God is going to be glorified in spite of what man is doing. Now, we are here, and you are a part of the plan of God. He has a plan for you as an individual, and he put you in the world at this time, in this place, for his purposes. Understand, you may face suffering, difficulties. There may be a lot of problems, and God knew that. It's part of his plan. The question is, am I going to glorify God in this place at this time under these circumstances? That's the great question. As we look at the song of the servant in Isaiah 53, we see God had a purpose and it was fulfilled precisely. And the world might look at things that happened and say, God failed. But they didn't. It was exactly what God had planned, and so we will see this. As we come to our study of the Word of God, once again, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I give thanks that we have your revelation Everything that we need to know about you and your plan has been recorded for us with perfect accuracy in the Scriptures. And I give thanks to you that we can have our own personal copy of that revelation, and we have it in our own language. We can read it, and, and we can come to understand what you have said, what you have planned, what you've provided I pray that this day your Holy Spirit would give us understanding about a portion of your word that we will see today, that by it we might be edified, that we might take this in and uh, use it in our own lives so that we can fulfill your purpose for us here in the midst of the devil's world. 
And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have come to that fifth strophe or stanza in the servant song in Isaiah 53. And in verses 10 through 12, we see that God has a perspective on the suffering of his servant, the servant who is Messiah. And we see that he sees this suffering as the redemption of sinners and the triumph over death. So what we see here is that the Lord promises to exalt his servant because he did the will of God in dying as a guilt offering. So it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's an astounding statement. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. What happened to Jesus on the cross was planned by God. He has put him to grief. But we see that God has something beyond the cross. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So the this song that uh, began back in chapter 52, verse 13, begins with an announcement that there's going to be success and that the servant is going to be exalted. In 52.13, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. That is, he's going to have wisdom in what he does. He shall be exalted. He will be extolled, great praises. And he will be very high. So the song begins with the conclusion This is going to be the end. The servant is going to be exalted. He's going to be praised. He's going to be very high. And we're going to see the song concludes on the same note. So again, the Lord promises the exaltation of the servant. So... um, He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And so what this is saying is that after the death of the servant is going to come his vindication. A great miracle takes place because after his death and his burial, he's enabled to see his seed. He's able to prolong his days. And he is going to witness the successful completion of his mission. So the promise is introduced by a declaration that the will of the Lord is accomplished through the sacrificial death and the subsequent exaltation of the servant. So he promises that the servant will justify many as a result of his knowledge and suffering By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. So there's going to be a result from all of this suffering that the servant endures, and that is going to be the justification of sinners. It will be the justification of all of us who have gone astray, who have wandered away like sheep. There's going to be the justification of the many. All right, in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Now, the verb pleased doesn't mean enjoyment. It's not that God looked at the suffering and said, Oh, yes, I like that. It's not like some little kid that pulls the wings off butterflies or does something to to, to hurt an animal and takes some sort of Morbid delight in that. That's not what this is saying, that God was pleased in that way. But it does mean that God willed 
the suffering. It's that kind of pleasure. God was pleased in the sense that this is what he wanted to do for us. But he had to do it through his son. So it's not that he's getting some sort of pleasure out of seeing his son suffering on the cross, but rather he planned this. It was his purpose, and so he was pleased in that sense. And knowing that God had a purpose in the suffering of his son makes it possible for us to endure any suffering that comes along. If we understand, here I am, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, God knew that. And God has a plan in the midst of suffering. And you can bring glory to God through the suffering. Will you trust him? Will you praise him? Will you say, I know where I'm going. I know that God has provided for me to be able to bring him glory in this time. If he willed the suffering of his son, understand God also has a plan for you, and it may include suffering. So will you curse God or will you bless God? Will you understand, I'm here. God knows where I am. God could change my circumstances. God could heal me. God could take away the hurt. But God hasn't chosen to done that. do that, so that means he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is that the will of God, the plan of God, will prosper through us. So it pleased the Lord. This indicates that this is the plan of God. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places, in every place. This is what pleases God. He has a plan. So we have to understand that we are in this plan. God has a purpose for us. All right, now, in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord. Now, notice the word pleased. At the end of the verse, it says, And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The word pleasure at the end of the verse is the noun form of the verb. It's essentially the same thing. It pleased the Lord. It gave him pleasure. So it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So this is a part of the plan. Now, this word to bruise, it's the same word that was found back in verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word wounded here means he was pierced through. The word bruised literally means to crush. But it doesn't mean to crush literally. It's never used for a literal crushing like you would crush a stone. But it's used in a metaphorical sense, to be oppressed, to be despondent, to suffer anguish of soul. We use the word in this way in in our language. You get bad news and you say, oh, I was crushed. And it means that now you have this, this burden and there's anguish of soul that results from it. And so when it says that he was crushed for our iniquities, it it indicates the tremendous anguish that came from the spiritual suffering of the Savior when he was made sin for us, when God the Father laid on God the Son all of our sins. He was crushed. Anguish beyond anything that we could understand, comprehend, enter into. 
But it was the plan of God from all eternity past to put our sins on his son. It was his plan that the servant be crushed. God planned that. Then it says, he has put him to grief. Now the word grief here, literally it means to be sick. We could translate it, literally it would be translated, he made him sick or he caused him to be sick. But this is not talking about a physical sickness. The word sick, sometimes it's used for animals that are not suitable for sacrifice. In the book of Malachi, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, there's our word, sick, is it not evil? Well, of course it is. what, What kind of an offering are you going to give to God? Um, and let's see, what is it, verse 15? Hmm. Okay, oh, 13, there we are. You also may say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? You're going to bring something that's sick or you're going to bring something that's stolen? I want you to notice this because it's going to have application in just a moment in Isaiah 53. So he has put him to grief. Now the word grief is another word that Isaiah used earlier in this song. In verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses. But this song is about sickness of soul, the sickness of sin. It's not talking about sickness in the body. And therefore, the rendering of this as grief is a legitimate understanding of what's going on here because this is not a physical sickness. So while we could say he has put him to grief, he has made him sick, the idea here is that this is not physical. So the servant is acquainted with grief and he has borne our griefs. In verse 5 it says, He bore our griefs. Uh, Where is that? Okay, there we are. So he has borne our griefs. The Lord has put him to grief. And so we should understand that Jesus Christ has taken our sins upon himself. He has paid that penalty. And this is the plan of God. How did this happen? How is it that he has borne our griefs? Well, it's because that was the pleasure of the Lord. It's because God planned this. So he had to suffer the anguish of bearing our sins. And why? Well, it's in order to provide for our justification. Now, he says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The word when literally is if. But it means if you do this, then this will be the consequence. Or we could say when this happens, this is what the outcome will be. So when 
this happens. When you make his soul an offering for sin, the word soul here, it means his person, who he is. He's not making some uh, statement here that deals with anthropology about the makeup of man, body, soul, spirit, and so on. But this is talking about his person, about the person of the servant. When you make his soul an offering for sin. All right, the word offering for sin, it's just one word in the Hebrew text, and it's talking about an offering. Now, there are various words used for various offerings. There were numerous offerings that were prescribed under the Levitical system. There was the burnt offering, the meal offering, which didn't have anything to do with an animal. It had to do with food. It had to do with grain that was offered. Um, There was what was called the peace offering. There was the sin offering, the trespass offering, and that's what this is. When you make his soul an offering for sin, surprisingly, it is not a reference to what is known as the sin offering. It's a different word for the sin offering. So typically, this word is translated as trespass or guilt offering. And this is the offering that was required when one person derived another of something. He deprived someone else, or even deprived God of something that was due him. And so it's a word that indicates guilt. It occurs in Leviticus and in Numbers. And so the word means guiltiness or offering for sin, a trespass offering, but uh, perhaps it would be better if we called it a reparation Offering. In Leviticus 5 5, and it shall be when he is guilty, there's our word, it's translated offering for sin in Isaiah 53 10, when he is guilty in any of these things, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, in what he has committed. So any individual who has sinned is guilty. You've broken the law. And there is a procedure now for taking care of the guilt. And it's very specific. Now, when there were certain kinds of sins that were committed, restitution had to be made according to a cash valuation plus a penalty, a 20% penalty. And that wasn't even the offering. It's just talking about there has to be restitution. In Numbers chapter 5, starting in verse 6, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty. Okay, here we have that word for guilt again. And notice the sin here is unfaithfulness against the Lord. He's guilty. Then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it. That's 20%. And he gives it to the one that he has wronged. Interesting. So, in this particular offering, there is an animal sacrifice in connection with it, but there is also something more than the animal sacrifice. There must be restitution plus the 20% penalty. So the guilt associated with this offering usually involved money or other material things. In Leviticus chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord, 
Now, what kind of sin do you commit that would require this kind of offering? By lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies about it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all about that which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, that's 20%, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of those things which he have may have done in which he trespasses. So you understand now. Amazon delivers something to your door, but it actually should have gone down the street. But you take it in and you keep it. Now you have a problem. Or maybe you find a wallet You're walking out the parking lot uh, of some store. You see a wallet. You pick it up, and it has the ID in there, so you know to whom it belongs, and it has a lot of money in it, and you keep it. We understand these things happen. Or somehow you have made a deal with somebody and say, okay, we're going to enter into this deal, and we'll split 50-50 on this. And so you... Engage in the transaction, you get the money, and you don't split it 50-50. You do it 60-40 or 70-30, and you give the smaller portion to the other party. You have defrauded him. Now, when you start thinking about this and you recognize, oh, I've got a problem with God. This is not right. I am guilty before the Lord. And this is a matter of conscience. I mean, maybe something has happened like this and nobody knows except you. But you know you're guilty. And some people say, oh, well, finders keepers, losers weepers. And you keep what it is. But your conscience bothers you and you say, now I need to make this right. Well, under the Mosaic Law... If you did this, you had to make full restitution to the other party and you had to add 20%. Then you had to make an animal sacrifice. So this was a sacrifice that was very seldom brought because it's very expensive. It's very costly to enter into uh, this particular offering. So in this case... You see, you couldn't simply confess your sin and go on with your life. Oh, yes, Father, yeah, I I kept that money. I stole that money. I kept that thing that I found, whatever it was. And then go on with your life. You can't do that. You want to have fellowship with the Lord? In this case, you have to make a return, and then you have to add a penalty on top of it, and then you can offer your animal sacrifice. Otherwise, you continue to have guilt before the Lord. So if you have something where you have defrauded somebody, you have stolen something, or you found something and you didn't return it, or something was given to you for safekeeping, and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I lost it, or the dog ate it, or whatever it was, You can't do that, keep the money, and have fellowship with the Lord, even if you confess that sin. You've got to do something else. 
Otherwise, you have this continuing sin of keeping that which you have stolen. So we have this reparation offering or this trespass offering. How does this relate to Isaiah? When you make his soul a reparation offering or a trespass offering. Well, of course, the easy answer is to say, well, he paid for our sins. And that's true, but by calling this not a sin offering, but a reparation offering or a trespass offering, it adds an entirely new dimension. His death made up everything God had been defrauded of since sin entered into the world. Every missing offering, every missing act of worship, everything we should have done but failed to do, all of that defrauded God. There are things that we have that were due to God, and we haven't given them to God. But the sacrifice of Christ was so great that it made up for everything, and so now the Father can say, I have it all back. You see, you you can't bring stolen money and give it to the Lord and think, well, it's okay. Okay, well, I, yeah, I defrauded my neighbor, and so here I got this $1,000 that I cheated my neighbor out of. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give a tithe of that to the Lord. I'll give 10% to the Lord or even 50% to the Lord. No, you can't do that. And you can't bring the sick animal. See, we just read in Isaiah, they, they brought stolen sheep. How, can you imagine? Oh, I'm going to make this offering to the Lord. And you go steal a sheep. And then you bring it into the temple and say, here, I'm going to give this to God. There are things that are due to God, and we have failed to give them to God. Things we should have done and we didn't do. That's what this trespass offering is about. Things we should have done and didn't do. And so we not only defraud other people, but we can defraud God in our offering, in our worship, in our service to him, the things that we just failed to do. Well, understand, Jesus paid not only for our sins, but now he is going to give back to God everything that was due to God. It's something I'd never thought about, something I'd never considered. What about what we fail to do? Jesus had to pay for that too. I don't think we'll ever comprehend all that Christ accomplished on the cross. Because what we see in Isaiah concerning these animal sacrifices, I think that we can really get a grasp on what the Levitical offerings were all about. Because we see how they are related to what Jesus had to do on the cross. Because in, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, or in other places where it talks about these animal sacrifices, we're not told, hey, this points forward to the Savior. We're not told that explicitly. But here Isaiah is going to make that connection, that what Jesus did on the cross, it was a sin offering, but it's also this trespass offering. And so... When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is coming out of Isaiah. He understands that it's pointing to a person. So when you make his soul a trespass offering... When that happens, here are the consequences. (laughs) He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So after declaring that the servant accomplished the will of the Lord by offering himself as a guilt offering, Isaiah tells us that the servant is going to triumph after death. 
Now, Isaiah doesn't make any plain statement about the resurrection. And we're not told by what means death gives place to life, but there's a very strong implication of resurrection, not only in that the servant will see his seed after he has died, but also that he will prolong his days. That is, he's going to enjoy long life in spite of having given his life as a guilt offering. So he gives his life as a guilt offering, but then there's going to be triumph afterwards. So the world may think that God has failed, that he can't control history, but the Bible teaches that that's not the case. God is in control. His plan will succeed. There's going to be ultimate victory, and God will triumph. So this verse concludes as it began, with an affirmation concerning the efficient accomplishment of the will of God through his servant. So God's purpose is completely accomplished. Yes, Christ died. That's not the end. God has a plan for him after death, and this plan is glorious. He shall see his seed. Now, this is post-mortem. This is after his death. After his death, he's going to see something. He's going to see his seed. Seed here refers to those who will be justified by faith, as will be taught in the next verse. Those who become the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He will see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Again, this refers to the time after his death and burial. His days are going to be prolonged. And only his bodily resurrection could serve to fulfill such a prophecy as this. So the prolonged days, that's eternity. And the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So we have the the pleasure, it's the noun form of the word pleased at the beginning of the verse, indicating God has a plan, and the plan of God is what gives him pleasure. The pleasure of the Lord is what he has determined to do through his servant, and this is going to prosper in his hand. The word prosper, it means to accomplish in a satisfactory manner what has been purposed. God expresses his purposes, how? Through his word. And therefore, his word will not prove empty. It will prosper in its fulfillment And the plan of God is going to prosper. It's going to come to successful conclusion through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. There we have pleasure again. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It's going to be successful. It shall prosper. God accomplishes salvation for man through the suffering of his obedient servant. That's Isaiah 53. And it says that the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands, Now, what is the will of God that will prosper in the hand of his servant? What is that prosperity? What is that successful conclusion that pleases the Lord? One is that many people will be saved from their sins. They will be justified. So we'll see the many in the closing verses of this song. The Messiah is going to be victorious. The Messiah will have a glorious bride, and when he returns at his second advent, he's going to destroy all of his enemies, and he will usher in a kingdom of peace and righteousness, and the Messiah will have great reward given to him by the Father. He will rule over the nations of the world with a rod of iron. And at the end of his millennial reign, he will cast Satan and his demons and all who have rejected him into the lake of fire. 
And then as it says in Revelation 11.15, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The will of God is going to prosper in his hand. It's going to be fulfilled. God has a plan, and we know what the end is going to be. We've read the last chapter. I know how it's going to turn out. It's going to be glorious. But it's all because of this wonderful Savior, the servant of the Lord. Father in heaven, we give thanks that you do have a perfect plan. We thank you that you have the power to carry out this plan, that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Nothing in it will ever fail. Nothing will be diminished. But it's going to come to pass just as you pleased to plan it. Heavenly Father, I pray that we might seek to know that plan and that we might seek to fulfill your purpose in that plan so that we can bring glory to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our next hymn will be Soldiers of Christ Arise. What number do you have? 478. 478. close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your infinite knowledge you'd prepared before the foundation of the world for our salvation. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf that satisfied your justice. We thank you for the mercy and grace that you demonstrate to us on a daily basis. We ask that you'd help us to share that with those around us and bring us back uh, for our next service. Uh, thank you for Pastor Myers, who's filled in for Dr. Dean, who was on, while he was on vacation. Pray that you'd bless him and his travels, and bless our pastor and bring him back safely to us. In Jesus' name, amen.